my podcast pod tunes is a perfect way to fall asleep while listening to the best horror history and true crime stories this podcast is presented by bed temporaries bedtime stories that will keep you up at night blowing out the pipes i hadn't heard from maria for a while nearly six months which was a long time for us the last time we had gone that long without contact she was still with david They were making a life together. Had been. It was a full-time proposition. Still, every two to three months, she'd invite me over. Sometimes I'd even go. But it was always an occasion to talk over the phone. The last time I had seen her was Labor Day. I had been out to her place in Magna, watched a movie, and had dinner. It was something that she had made, chicken and rice, just improvised. She was unusually attractive that day. She hadn't cut her hair for a long time. It was dark and thick. She had just taken a shower when I arrived, and she was wet and clean. Her skin was brown from the summer sun. It had been nine years since she had been in my class, and she wasn't a skinny little kid anymore. Long since. We sat on the couch in her living room, watching a movie, her legs drawn up under her. How could I forget that? I did not know, not call, not reach out. Money problems, I guess. They'll take your mind off of anything, make you forget all the beauty in life. But here it was, January the following year, and I realized when I got Maria's text that we hadn't seen each other or spoken since September, the extensive last summer. I thought maybe I should spend the night. It had been snowing heavily all day. I lived in an apartment about a mile from campus, trudging home in the snow after school. But the commute this evening was hellish, and I envied no man. In a strange coincidence, Maria's company had relocated to a warehouse district near the school. We had thought of this contingency last summer, though it had been merely a joke. She was originally from Southern California, Riverside, but she had a lifted truck, four-wheel drive, and several winters under her belt. It's open, I replied, and reminded her of my apartment number, though she had visited twice before, just after I had moved in. She worked a lot of overtime, four tens to begin with, and she didn't indicate when she would arrive. After an hour of waiting, I left the door unlocked and walked over to a convenience store to make the kitchen a little more hospitable. Rush hour had just subsided. It had gotten dark, but the falling snow was relentless, muting the sound waves in the air, like you were alone in the world. I collected an armload of snacks, snacking through the small aisles, a box of hot chocolate, a bowl of ramen noodles, nutty bars. A vagrant had asked me to get him a tall boy, so I got that too. You have to blow out the pipes, he said. I thought he was referring to the beer and manufactured a laugh. I was fishing the can out of a plastic bag. We stood for a moment in the light coming through the storefront windows next to an old payphone. There was a lip of awning running across the front of the building. It was shelter from the falling snow. After you turn off the water, he said, you gotta blow out the pipes. I gave him the beer and was edging away, but he put two greasy fingers on the sleeve of my jacket to hold me. Just because you turn the water off doesn't mean the pipes are empty. You gotta get an air compressor. Blow them pipes out or they'll freeze up. Burst. That's true. I agreed, humoring him. Lot of water in those pipes! He yelled as I walked away. It just fans out like a jet spray. 
I was glad to get away from him, but he had brought to my remembrance the winterizing that had taken place on campus last fall. White spray coming out of sprinkler heads like phantom geysers across grass still green. I might never have remembered that again. The convenience store wasn't far away, but snow was pelting me faster than it could melt, plastering my eyelashes even. Everything was covered in a white so pure it very nearly glowed, though the immediate sounds of life and activity muffled, yet it seemed I could hear things at a great distance, as if traveling through all the water in the air. When I got back, I found that Maria had preceded me. Hey, Mr. Such, she said in her childlike voice, I'm wet. She was soaking, dripping. I put the bag from the convenience store on the kitchen table and opened the folding doors to the washer and dryer that were hard by. Let's dry some of that off, I suggested, after asking how she was. Her coat was wet through and weighted heavily with water. Maybe I'll run this through a spin cycle first, I wondered aloud. She took off her beanie and shook her hair. A cold spray went everywhere. Sorry about that, she apologized, strands of hair marbling her face and neck. I took her beanie too and began loading it up the washer, feeling through the pockets of every garment she gave me. How was your day, Mr. Such? she asked, sweetly. Her frame was so slight, and her voice so high that she had been nicknamed Baby at the school. She had a mock, innocent tone as well. Though I had gotten used to it, I didn't notice it as much anymore. I told her about my day, dull as it was, while she passed me her clothes, only just fetching my robe around her shoulders before she got down to her underwear. She'd had three shirts on, and every one of them was soaked. I couldn't imagine how she had gotten so wet. You must be freezing, I said. Oh, I'm okay. Did you want to take a hot shower? Yeah. She said it like it was the most novel idea in the world. I advanced to the washer to spin and close the lid. It warbled a bit due to the uneven weight distribution of the sodden clothing, thudding like a great heartbeat till it picked up speed again and began to hum with fervor. The deep sound of the tub's faucet came from the bathroom. I thought maybe Maria was opting for a bath, but then I heard a pinched sound of the water being redirected up the pipe to the shower head. I took the cellophane off the package of ramen and heated up some water in the microwave. I flipped through the channels on the TV for something Maria might like to watch, some buffer of voices at least. Though we had always conversed with ease, yet I found myself strangely lacking for anything to say. Maria's demeanor seemed a little bit off too, silly, ragged. Perhaps it was our long absences followed hard upon by the forthright state of her undress that had dislocated our comfortable rhythms. I had noticed the steam pouring out from under the door of the bathroom. It quickly evaporated, but I had never noticed how heavily it came out from the space under the door. But then, I was always in the shower, living alone. Presently she came out of the bathroom like she had just washed ashore, and I hastened to retrieve some surplus towels. I asked her about work while she dried her hair. It unleashed a torrent of information. I pretended to understand, but I had forgotten all the characters of her job. It was a relief, though, not having to think of anything to say. I corralled her in a t-shirt of mine before the last towel slipped off from her body. Though it covered her face momentarily while we sorted out her arms, it didn't prevent her from carrying on her discourse, finally reaching her knees. I stacked some pillows and blankets on the couch, including one that she had given me several years back. When we sat down at the kitchen table, she looked at me through the steam of ramen, no longer talking, 
there was some mischief in her eyes and an unsettling smile on her chin. I was unsure if she were making a pass. Through the veil of vapor, she appeared sultry and sensual, and I desired her, but she was the only friend I had, and I didn't want to ruin that with a disappointing sexual encounter. If I get up in the night, it's just an old man's bladder, I said, breaking the tension with a little self-deprecation. Before retiring to my bedroom, I moved Murray's clothes to the dryer, and the hum and tumble obscured any sounds of her presence and finally lulled me to sleep. It woke me 70 minutes later, and the dryer's buzzer sounding like the end of a basketball game in a cavernous gymnasium. I hadn't thought to silence it. I got out of bed to use the bathroom. Though I had pulled the blinds, I could tell it was still snowing. A faint white haze permented the apartment. The bathroom was windowless, and I brought the door almost to the jam without closing. I sat on the bowl to mute the splash. The bath mat was still wet, and it soaked my socks. I took them off while doubled over, feeling for the hamper. I couldn't see in the dark, but I got the impression that a bath had been drawn, and that there was standing water in the tub. Something about the humidity or the acoustics. The toilet was adjacent to the tub, and without getting up, I reached behind the shower curtain and put my hand in. It was indeed full. The water was cold. I touched something. Oh, I'm sorry, I said, hiking up my drawers and dashing out. I sat on my bed, listening, reconnoitering, nothing. Eventually, I ventured out of the bedroom. In the illumination of the sliding doors from an outside not as dark, I saw the blankets and pillows still stacked on the couch, the bowl of ramen untouched on the kitchen table. In such close quarters, I merely had to reach my hand into the bathroom. I turned on the light to summon the forces of good rather than to see and stepped in. Through the dull translucence of the shower curtain, I could make out a figure reclining in the tub. Presently, I drew the back curtain, the metal of the hook scraping against the rod. Maria lay face up, completely dressed and submerged. She looked at me, refracted as she was, not needing to blink for the water. Though she was perfectly still, her eyes followed me as I knelt beside the tub, dipping my hand in to pull the rubber stopper out of the drain. Her hair had fanned out, and her eyes strove look over her cheeks to see what I was doing. I pulled the plug and got myself out. I slammed the door to my bedroom and buried myself under the covers of my bed. I heard the last bit of water flow into the drain, and all was quiet but for the blood pulsing through my ears, which sounded like millions of snowflakes crashing to the earth. My heartbeat slowed and presently I discerned the soft ticking of the alarm clock at my bedside. The clock became erratic, ticking faster, slower, in couplets, and I realized that it was not the sound of the alarm clock at all, but rather the dripping of the water. I threw back the covers, and Maria stood before me in a silhouette like a wizened child. A dark oval grew in the general darkness of her face. It made a crackling and a splitting noise like the sound of an inside garden hose when the spigot is turned on full blast. Then a violent spray of icy water forced me to close my eyes, cover my face, and retreat backward. I thought there was a howling scream in it as well, but I discovered it was my own. I waited in the corner between the bed and the wall till an overcast daylight took possession of the apartment and no mere artificial illumination. All was dry by this time and Maria was gone. Tentatively starting the day, I exercised the night's terror with a comforting and mundane blather of news on the television. But even in the horrors of the real world, I couldn't escape her. I was suddenly possessed by a brief, uncontrollable shudder, then a vigorous outbreak of goosebumps.
Though identified anonymously as a 28-year-old Magna woman, I knew it was Maria even before her sister called. Her truck had left the road on an icy bridge during the prior evening's commute. She had gone into the river. After consoling her sister, I retrieved the autocorrect message that Maria had sent the night before. I deleted it, going into the trash, deleting it again. It constituted the last communication from Maria that I would ever receive, and the pipes were now empty against the cold season of her absence. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podtoon. Podtoons is updated on a weekly basis, so be sure to tune in next week.